Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. So you get to IAPA, right? And so IAPA, you guys had one of the most successful IAPA shows that I'm aware of. I've been in this fact for a long, in this industry for a long fucking time. And, you know, you guys sold 70 or so units at debut at IAPA. What was it about that? Because I tell people like this year at IAPA, there was a lot of VR there and a lot of my clients launched. And I'm like, don't think you're going to do that. Like that was a bit of lightning in a bottle. What do you think it was that led to that success? And what advice do you have for companies bringing products to market that they're missing? Because I know since then you've been looking at other products and we're going to talk about some of the products that you've taken on here in a minute. Like, so let's start with IAPA, but then think about like, what was it that was special and what might companies learn from that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's almost like Shark Tank at times with uh, the people are like, hey, can you do the same thing that you did for me for them, right? Yeah. Uh, all the time. I think there was a combination of factors that took place at IAPA in 2017 that was a little bit of lightning in a bottle, you know, so to speak, as far as a product launch. And I think first and foremost, VR was hot as a topic. You know, people were looking for VR products and there was a lot of VR there in 2017. I think when I was reviewing an article by, I think it was like Kevin Williams is like, you know, Hey, in 2017, there was like 60 VR products on the show floor. And in 2018, there was almost a hundred. There's obviously a lot more that grew based on, I think, partially our, our popularity, but there was still a lot of VR there. I think one of the things that made it so attractive to everybody at IAPA in 2017 for us, in part, first and foremost, was comfort and security. Most of the people that were offering products off of the floor were brand new companies. You know, they hadn't installed any, even though we hadn't either. But, you know, who's going to support my product that you're asking me to spend tens of thousands of dollars on six months from now? Yeah. Who says you're going to be in business six months from now if you weren't in business six months ago, I think was a large part of it. And I think another part of that was we really tried to address a couple key points with Hollowgate that compared to everything else at the time that nobody else was really addressing. First and foremost, we wanted it to be attractive, which I mentioned earlier, because you look at something like zero latency, as fun as that experience is, and I enjoy it, it's hidden behind a wall, right? It's just a big wall. It's similar to laser tag. And we fight that with laser tag and we're always looking for new ways to improve that, but it's completely hidden behind a wall that you can't see what's going on there. So if you've got a product that is, let's say unknown to the general public, you need to make it as accessible as possible for them to understand it so that they're willing to do it. Because by human nature, we want to do things that we know that we're comfortable, especially if we're spending our money on it. And so trying to make it as readily available and understand of what it was, was a huge design piece that set Hologate apart from everybody else. And then on top of that, with that same you know kind of mindset, most locations are trying to put this into an arcade. Well, because of that, they need to have line of sight. They mm-hmm. need to know that if I put this big, you know, VR attraction in the middle of my footprint that I can still see the big bass wheel on the other side, right, of the arcade or whatever that attraction might be, or my laser tag or my go-karts or whatever the case is. So providing that open floor plan that nobody had done up to that point, I think was really, really imperative. The other piece that we did there was, Up until that point, every VR attraction, for the most part, had been designed to be a really long experience, 
right? Zero latency was pushing a 30 to 60 minute experience, right? And we took more of the arcade style approach and we went with, you know, a five and eight and a 10 minute option is is what we had at debut for, for Hollowgate. And that idea that I can get a faster throughput, I can get more money on a per minute basis, especially compared to other VR products when you're looking at a typical VR arcade, and charging, you know, whether it's 50 cents a minute or 30 cents a minute, and you guys are getting, you know, up to $2 a minute, which I think is, you know, I've been saying all along, like price points need to be higher. And yeah, correct. I, thank and you. And we got getting as high as, you know, $3 a minute. So it's it just depends on, on where you're at and, and understanding the value of your product and that consumers are willing to pay it if the experience is worth it. Right. And so dressing up, I think that was kind of the, the lightning in the bottle was the faster throughput. It was the open design and layout. It was the comfort in knowing that a company like ours was willing to back the product, support it, service it. We've obviously already had a support department with hundreds of laser mazes and laser tags and golf courses, all with electronics already in place. So they knew that, you know, and and many of them were our existing customers. They came to us like, I'm looking at these other VR products, but I don't know them from Adam. I know you're taking care of me. I feel comfortable spending this with you. I want to to hit on that because this is one of the things I know these guys don't understand because until you experience it, it doesn't actually, it's hard to comprehend. And especially in tech where new companies seem to explode on the scene, right? And there's the whole overnight success, you know, the band that like toured in their van for 20 years and all of a sudden they look like they've exploded out of nowhere. But the reality is they've been slogging it. You know, I think in the amusement industry, the challenge has been operators are really, really hesitant to buy from new companies because there's a lot of companies that look at the amusement industry and they stick their toe in the water and they don't sell anything. And then they piss off and leave because they didn't have overnight success. Right. And so yeah. operators generally will wait to see, are you here next year, are you here next year, are you here next year? And companies don't have the money to sit around and wait for people to buy their products two or three years. And that's why I think that distribution relationship is really key in partnering with somebody who's got the trust, who, you know, you know, is going to be there. And that was part of my advice to create up to Hollowgate was, you know, you guys are going to slog it out for years, even if you have an amazing product, And my, you know, I told life afterwards, I said, you know, I know you think you had a great success and, you know, there's always tension in relationships, right? When you have success, it's like, oh, my, did I give away too much? Or how much was that my, and how much was it with them? I, you know, my, my guess, and this is a wild ass guess is had they gone to the show on their own, they might've sold 10. And this is my opinion. I have no data to back this up at all, but the partnership of you and them together is what blew it out of the water. And so, um, a lot to be said about that. And, and then even if we look at IAPA that we just had, where we, again, blew it out of the water, you know, again, you do have, like you said, we had certain customers in the first year that were willing to take a risk on a new VR attraction, so to speak, as a relatively new entrance into the market because of their comfort level. And then we had a lot of people that purchased this year because, okay, I've seen that it stayed around for a year. I've seen that they come out with three additional games you know, over that time period, I've seen that from my conversations with other clients that it's done well and that it's actually performed. And I'm not just getting, like you said, captive numbers from a single location or two locations that are going to be outliers because like you said, they're in their backyard. They're spending all that time there as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Russ just said, you know, early adopters paving the way for market legitimacy. And there's this whole, if you're not familiar with the crossing the chasm model and you're a solution provider, you should get that book and and understand yeah. it. Because we're getting into now these, you know, these fast followers and and pragmatists. And for pragmatists to buy a product, and I'm not sure if that's the, the word they use, that might be my word, but these are the guys that you know, they want to see proof, like they want to see numbers. And, and one of the challenges I think that zero latency had was, you know, you get 20 units out there, that's enough, like, where are the numbers, right? And, and this is one of the things, you know, I think life did a good job of showing in a couple of weeks ago, it's like, like, here's the numbers, like, here they are. And I think you put that on your website, too. It's like, like, here's what we're doing. And I think that makes people more comfortable that, all right, this isn't just a bunch of hype and bullshit. So, well, I think, I think numbers is, is a key point that you mentioned there. It's like, and even then, you know, you've got to be careful is, is some people will throw big numbers out there, but did you do the math on the numbers that they put out there, right? Did you actually calculate out like how many plays does that really mean? Mm-hmm. What would that ROI be? What is that time frame for it? And so you also need to be careful that when a company touts numbers that they actually pencil out in a positive manner and don't hurt them either when you actually take more than them at face value. So now I know since then you and I have had some conversations about other VR, and this is, but we're going to move into we'll move into voxel and, and mixed reality. So I know you've been looking for, you know, I'm assuming I don't know this, but I'm assuming a free roam solution, right? So you guys are in the laser tag business. There's a lot of you know free roam stuff out there, and we had a conversation recently where you said you've been looking, but nothing really blown you away. What is it you're looking for, and the specifically that you're not seeing? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things. As we've you know looked at all of the different you know free roaming concepts, whether it's a a PvP player versus player ex- experience or even a PVE environment, you know escape room type experience, you know we looked at the platform aversion, for example, right? And one of the biggest things that's been missing so far has been throughput. Has been something that a lot of locations and a lot of products have just not really seriously looked at. Yeah. And as soon as start to try and stress test them in any meaningful manner, they get very flustered. And that can make a huge, huge difference in how that product presents because it doesn't matter at the end of the day, if the experience was good, if I can only get two sets of people through it in an hour, because it takes me 15 minutes to turn over a group, I've already lost. I'm never going to see that ROI pencil out from that standpoint. I think that that has been a a huge issue from that standpoint. The other thing that I've felt kind of maybe underwhelmed about is been that some location or some products have either gone for a very high graphical, which has been great. Others have gone for very poor, but they're not focusing as much on the core, just fun gameplay. So I'm hopeful and I want to try out the new Zero Latency. I know that you just recently got to play its uh, new game and, and seems to have some positive you know, reaction to it. And I've not touched that yet, so I'm excited for that. By the way, Thursday, I've got a special edition of this with Tim Roos live from Melbourne from the Zero Latency office. And we're going to be talking Uh-oh. about all the Zero Latency stuff. So share this link with your friends and make sure you're on there because it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and I think that from that standpoint, it's just like, You've got to have that fun experience. You know, for example, you and I were at, um, was it ES last year? Where we went and we got to try uh, Nero Gaming's new multiplayer yeah. version, right? Yep. And that was probably the most fun that I've had in a free roam experience. It was really, really good. That said, 
they also suffered from that same throughput scenario, right? right? I mean, getting the sensors on your feet, getting them on your hands, getting them on, you know, it took forever to rotate a group over. Now that can all be, but they're not going to be solved with more equipment. And this is the thing that drives me crazy. So I talked to the guys at, that are going to be at Amusement Expo, VAX, right? Which was you know, one of the other ones that we did at EAS. And, yeah, we did that there, yeah. And, and, you know, they had four backpacks and one spare, and it's a four-player system, but it's all backpacks. And and I'm like, put four more fucking backpacks on the wall so you can get four people suited up while four. Like, those are the early laser tag lessons that you'd think 25 or 30 years later, people would understand is the incremental cost of a backpack and a headset, you know, during peak hours is made up by the fact that you can get three or four more games in a day at least by having that incremental turn and take some of the pressure off the employees. And yeah, it drives me crazy that people don't put enough equipment into the setup. That's made it definitely difficult, right? I mean, it's it's made it definitely difficult. The other thing is, look, I understand that there's also elements of you know, needing to recoup cost and development time and a lot of the R&D that goes into some of the content that's made. But it's also a little bit amazing at times and of what those prices are that they expect the product and the market to bear. And you're just like, this won't make sense, right? Because when somebody actually does the math and says, hey, if I can get three turns an hour or two turns an hour of people based on my game length of four players, and I can only charge X amount of dollars, how many plays is it going to take to actually earn my money back? And if you can't show that your product is going to get that ROI in on average, let's say in that 12 to 14 month time period, as far as a gross ROI, then your model's already broken. Because that's what a lot of entertainment venues are looking for. It doesn't always have to be that way, but it needs to be pretty close. And you have outliers longer and outliers that go shorter, right? That will always happen. But the bulk of the market are looking for that ROI, absolutely. Because ultimately, you're competing. You're not competing with other VR solutions. You're competing with Big Bass Wheel, right? And so like an FEC operator is going to say, I've got this square footage and then this money, I could put in a VR attraction or I could put in eight more redemption games. Now, this dirty little secret in the industry is those redemption games aren't going to bring in new dollars, right? It's just going to shift money from one game to another. And then they're going to look at the ROI for that game and say, Ooh, I got my, my money back. And they're going to make themselves feel good about the purchase where the reality yeah. is for me, you know, I know that VR brings in new dollars and that's why Dave and Buster's did so well with their attraction, their Jurassic world at all attraction, because it brought in a creative revenue that went right to their bottom line. It was new money. And you said the right word. It's an attraction. Yeah can't look at VR and you can't expect it to always run like a, just an arcade game. You need to look at it like it's an attraction. Now, will there be successful VR arcade products? Look at Rabbids. It's amazing. It's yep. doing great numbers. It's a really good product for what it serves its purpose, but you need to make sure if you're designing a larger scale product that it's treated like an attraction, that it's priced like an attraction for the experience that the guest is going to, you know, willing to pay and that they're getting the right value out of it, that they want to come back and play it again, right? They want to have a good time. And I think that's the other part that's been interesting when we've looked at whether it's be other small footprint, free roam, or other VR experiences, is realizing that we are social beings, right? Humans by nature are social. When we first met with Hollowgate, that was completely different than anybody else. They were the only ones with TeamSpeak communications out of any product that we tried. Right. So that ability for me to talk shit to my wife, right, because I was shooting the aliens faster than her 
or, you know, for her to, to talk shit to me or in any group setting, that is, that is huge to create that social dynamic that still a lot of other products, they're relying on you just to yell loud enough over the speakers that are part of your headset. Yep. Right. They're not building in a communication system into their platform. And I think that's a huge mistake. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the other stuff that you've brought to market. Um, now yeah. you've got two new products you launched at IAPA. I'm not going to get into the escape room thing because that's not my jam. But you know, you did the the Vo- let's talk about Voxel, which is one of my clients, and I love those guys. So, which was kind of like this mixed reality thing. And the reason that we looked for you know Voxel and and really liked their product offering is that as we're looking to add to our mix. One of the things that happens in VR is that a lot of people haven't played it yet, right? There's still so much of the market that's not played VR. And because of that, there's a level of intimidation, especially amongst a younger demographic and a female demographic at times, to want to put on a headset that completely blocks out their ability to see the world around them, right? They're just not comfortable in that transition. And so one of the things that really attracted us to Voxel was this idea that I can put on these 3D glasses. I can still have this level of immersion with the cave system providing, you know, objects coming at me and get that level of 3D capabilities, but I can still see my friend. Yeah. I can still see what's coming up around me. And it's a level of, it's, it's almost, I hate to use this term. It's like a gateway drug, right? But it's that's what it for that person that was potentially intimidated about VR you know, a system like Voxel allows them to take a taste in a less intimidating platform that the next time they do see VR, whether it's ours or anybody else's, they may be more willing and more apt to give it a go because they had an enjoyable experience in a less threatening manner, yeah. right? If we're going to call it, you know, more like that, what that is. Yep, absolutely. And and this is something I talk about at a, actually a, at a consumer level is I, my prediction is that AR is actually going to be the gateway drug to VR. Everybody, you know, they talk about the hype cycle, right? Where VR has kind of gone through the hype cycle and now AR is going through it. And everybody thinks AR is going to be bigger than VR. But Mark Andreessen said, and I totally agree with him, that VR is going to be 10,000 times bigger than AR. It's just going to take time. And so once we get smart glasses, we're used to wearing these smart glasses and getting this information fed right in our field of view. It's actually going mm-hmm. to be easier for us to put on a VR headset and stay in VR. And AR is going to be the thing we take with us, like the travel mug, right, of the coffee yeah. and leave the house. But VR is going to be the coffee pot. And um, I just made that metaphor up and it's terrible. So I apologize. And so, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you bring that up as this is kind of like the on-ramp to VR. What's your early experience been with it? How's it doing? How many sites is it in? So we've got in a handful of locations and, and more coming. You know, the four-player unit has done better in the locations that have put in the four-player units. I think just because, again, you just get a larger social experience and, you know, we only really created a two-player version because one of the complaints that we've occasionally had on Hologate is, man, I wish you had a smaller version, right, yeah. at times. And, you know, most people end up finding the space anyways. But what we're finding is we've only sold one two-player version, right? Everybody else is buying four-player units. They want the capacity. They want the throughput. They want that experience. And then it becomes that much more of a dynamic of yeah. a social experience because, most people don't go to an arcade or a venue or an entertainment center. It's just a pair anyways. Yeah. Most of the time, it's a social environment. There's a group of four, six, eight people. And having the ability for 
you know, all of us to enjoy that experience together from a capacity standpoint makes it more willing to do it because I don't have to tell the two of you to go wait. Yep. Right. If all four of us can go in. Yeah. And one of the things, the statistics, but all the research backs up that people, they want VR to be a social experience. And the reason that VR hasn't taken off in the consumer market is because it's isolating and it's not, it's one of the many reasons, but that's, that's one of the big ones is it doesn't yeah. deliver what customers need and customers want social experiences. And so I think, yeah, four player, yeah, absolutely. Great data. Whether it's VR, mixed reality, I know we're going to talk about esports. You need to realize that your product is not VR. Your product is not AR. It's not laser tag. It's not bowling. It's not whatever it is. Your product is that experience, that memory, right? And so you need to do everything you can to create that memory that is hopefully positive. That's going to make them want to come back into your venue and to do it again. Absolutely. And, and so the thing like, you know, this idea of making memories into products is fascinating. And it's part of this whole experience economy that we're the in. Whole That's what we do. Yeah. And the whole reason that Instagram is so popular is because it allows people to take experiences and turn them into products and share them with their friends. Like that's what Instagram's about at a really deep level. And so one of the things I've been hammering really hard is mixed reality, right? And so, but not in the voxel sense as much, though it does give you some context because you see what people are doing in the environment. That's the end of part two of this interview. Part three is up next. <laughs>